Photoshelter presents Vision Slightly Blurred. I'm Alan Murabayashi. And I'm Sarah Jacobs. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Alan. How you doing? I'm doing okay. Good. Good. We're talking about uh, collectives today. Collectives. Sometimes they're cooperatives. Sometimes they're collectives. Mm-hmm. There's a business uh, uh, difference there. But do you know what one of the first collectives was? Can I guess? Yeah. Okay. Wait, collect collectives or co-op? Cooper- cooperatives? Yeah. Which yeah, it one? Was, it was technically a cooperative. It was technically cooperative. Okay. I guess I actually don't know the difference. Can we back up and explain that? <laughs> so, uh, I believe that, di- you know, maybe I should have researched this a little bit more. <laughs> I believe the difference uh, really comes down to the cooperative being um, kind of a uh, a situation where every member of the cooperative has a share and a voting right within the affairs of the cooperative. Okay. Whereas the collective is just kind of... There's not necessarily like a, a, a legal organization behind it. It's just okay. like, we're part of a collective. Okay. We may or may not um, pool our resources to do things like market ourselves together. Um, there might be somebody that we, there may or may not be someone that we hire to be our admin assistant or our lawyer or, or whatnot. Okay. Whereas in a cooperative, that's, that's typically why they're set up in the first place for legal and, um, distribution. You know, there's a, there's a fee to be in the collective. You get disbursements. Okay. Um, they take a, a piece of your, your profits. Oh, okay. Okay. Got it. So now you're asking me what so was now, the first. Do you know, I'm not sure whether it was the first, but mm-hmm. one of the, the big first, Cooperatives. Oh, was it Magnum? It sure was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in what? the forties, right? Nineteen forty-seven. Nineteen forty-seven. What? What? <laughs> I took photo history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they they got together um, in, in part because they wanted to make sure that they retained their copyrights. In part because they wanted to be able to sort of market and build a brand under Magnum, so that photographer here would be known as a magnum photographer and there's a certain level of 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 quality mm. that was uh that people would associate with the brand and also to just pool their resources together and say okay we're you know there'll be a president of magnum and there'll be somebody that deals with the billing because we don't want to deal with the billing right so right, there's right, like right. you know there's there's practical reasons for the cooperative or the collective to exist yeah like they had somebody licensing their images on their behalf too and like a whole administrative staff. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. So back in the day, you know, going back to these Magnum, F64, and some of the, the collectives and cooperatives in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and even early 2000s, in my opinion, were much more about the business, the business of photography and collaborating the resources together so that they didn't have to worry about the logistics of the business and to be able to create some marketing muscle. Mm. That, I think, has really shifted in the past five years or so. Yeah. I'd say within the past, like, maybe three to two that years. That might even be more accurate. Yeah. Who are you talking about? Well, it's interesting, because as we were researching a, a for this episode, I immediately thought of women photograph. Yep. And I thought of them as a collective um, because there is a standing website where you're able to go and you're able to see the female photographers um, or female identifying photographers that are on their roster. And as I was doing more research, I was like, well, wait a minute, is this a collective or is this just a, we- a website 
that promotes these photographers. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, are these are all these women like working together, or are they not? So, to answer my own question, yes. <laughs> um, while women photograph does put on initiatives such as like grants, and they do have a mentorship program, um, there's not any collaboration. I don't think outside of those things with the members or the people that are, we probably shouldn't even call them members, the photographers that are featured on their site, from what I can gather. I think that's accurate. You know, I think the the reason why Women Photograph came into existence was there was this conversation in the photojournalism industry about why there were so few women photographers that were represented on the cover of magazines mm. and, and, the, and in newspaper A1s, etc., Right. And one of the responses, if I'm remembering correctly, was how do we find them? What's the resource that sort of aggregates all of these great women photojournalists together? Mm-hmm. And so Daniela Zalkman, who's the founder of Women Photographs, said, I'm creating that directory. Yeah, Daniela. Um, so it became kind of a model, I think, for many of the collectives and or uh issue-oriented directories that followed it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's one called Native Access that's all about Native Americans. Um, there's Diversify Photo. Diversify Photo. There's Authority Collect, well, Collective. That one is a more formal collective. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, a lot about LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of trans photographers that are shooting trans Issues mm-hmm. that are part of that collective. Yep. And so th- it's just been a super interesting shift. And I think we've talked about in, in other podcast episodes where photographers have become very, uh, advocacy based, um, caring about a specific issue. And I'm seeing more and more photographers saying, okay, let's, what's the gay version of women photograph? What's the, you know, What's the black version? What's the Latino version? What's the Asian version? Mm-hmm. In part because they they don't feel like there's enough representation in some of these more mixed environments. And I do think that editors are paying more attention to saying, okay, mm-hmm. if we're shooting a, a piece in Asia, I don't have to fly out this white photographer there. There's a guy that's literally <laughs> it's happening in his backyard or her backyard or their backyard. And right. let's hire them to shoot. There's an economic reason to do that. There's also just a a point of view reason to do that, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of photo editors are realizing that like the strongest work comes from photographers that are documenting their own experiences and their own communities and having their own voice through the photos. I mean, that completely changes your approach to your subject matter. So do you think that, for example a white guy from the U.S. shouldn't be shooting a trans story in India? (laughs) No. No. (laughs) I don't. (laughs) I like that straightforward answer. I don't, yeah. (laughs) No, I think... No, you can absolutely... I think it's appropriate to send somebody there, but somebody that has experience within the LGBTQ community is going to approach that story in a different way than someone who is straight, just point blank. So, I think one of the big criticisms that I've seen over the years is that th- the problem with an other shooting a story. So, you know, uh, 
we'll go back to this example of of the white guy from the U.S. going into a foreign country shooting like a trans story. Mm-hmm. The problem isn't that he's incapable of doing it. But oftentimes, he's going to see something that he considers to be exotic because he's never seen it before and put an emphasis on it that isn't accurate for the people that are living that experience. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So being an outsider leads your eye in a certain way, makes you believe that the story is in one direction where it may be in another direction. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the real, that's the risk of like, having the outsider cover a story. Yeah. There's also like a sensitivity that that person might not understand or bring to the table um, that someone who has lived the experience would. And I definitely think that there is in some cases benefits to having this quote unquote outsider go and photograph a story because it might bring a fresh new pers- different perspective or they might be seeing something, something that someone that's so ingrained in it just didn't even notice. But for something as, for a topic as sensitive, um, or what can be as sensitive as something like trans rights, for example, um, that's when you don't, that's when you don't want to send somebody that has zero life experience within that world. I think it has to be, if you're going to send an outsider, it needs to be something that's sort of like not politicized, not like sensitive, not a sensitive topic. You know what I mean? I've seen editors make the argument of, you know, there's this big event that's going to go on and I need to know that my guy is going to get the shot. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going with a guy that I've worked with before who I know isn't going to you know, call call up and say, I lost my passport, mm-hmm. you know, has has been in enough novel situations that they can get the shot mm-hmm. and that I can rely on that person. Whereas I don't know this this photographer in, in the Philippines. Like, I'm not going to hire this person because I don't know who they are and their portfolio doesn't show me what I need to see. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that? Yeah, well, that's tough. As a photo editor. Uh. Fortunately, I have not dealt with that yet. <laughs> Full disclosure. Yeah. Full disclosure. But, um, yeah, you want to be able to rely. Okay. You want to be able to rely on your talent, right? To get the shots that you need. Um, but I think that's, that brings it back to the collectives. That's why these collectives are so important because they're proving their rosters are proving that there are going to be people wherever you need them that are talented and do have a good portfolio and are capable of getting the job done. Women Photograph did uh, kind of a year in, in photography at the end of 2018. And it was like many year in photograph galleries in terms of aggregating these these stories together. They did two things that were very different. Number one, everyone who submitted was uh, a woman or identified as being female. Mm-hmm. And number two, instead of relying on a single editor to say, these are the photos that I bookmarked throughout the years. And so now they're part of my year in, in photography because it's a, it's a daunting prospect to call down hundreds of thousands of photos into like, you know, the 20 best. Yeah. What they did was they said to everyone in the collective, submit us your best photos. Mm. And then our editor will go through. Which meant that stories that might have otherwise been forgotten had one more chance to be seen by the editor before it was published. And I actually wrote a piece on the Photo Shelter blog about it. That's right. It felt so different visually, visually and also in terms of like the subject matter that was covered Mm -hmm. in a very, very palpable way to me. Mm -hmm. Like that to me showed the real reason 
I wouldn't say necessarily genius, but it showed a real reason for this organization to exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if you take the woman component out of it, I love the fact that they they did a cattle call for like what what should be the best mm. photos of the year. Totally, yeah. Because again, it kind of goes back to like the photographers know they know their archive, they yeah. know what they did, they know what what stories struck stuck with them that they had shot that year, and so to ask them point blank like what's what's the best photo. I mean, I assume that there was a lot of photography within that um, year in that where they were the stories were not publicized a lot, right? Yeah. Is that the case? I, you know, I would say that the typical because I've done sort of year in photograph um, yeah. compendiums me, before. Me, yeah, me too. And you tend to remember just the big event things totally. that happen, or maybe there's one or two photos that go r- really viral viral during the course of the year, and so sure. you remember those. Mm-hmm. Taking this approach means that the smaller stories could be heard. Yeah, I will also yeah, say, yeah. Um, and and I I asked uh, Mallory Benedict, who was the editor on this this piece, whether I was totally off base. But it struck me as being a more tender year in photos. Mm-hmm. The typical year in photos that's photojournalism based usually has blood, yep, gunshot wounds, fire. Fire, people on fire, people on fire, people screaming. Yep. Whereas this particular year in photos is sort of devoid of that. It was like, we're on the block over and things are still bad, but this is what's going on. It's not the guy being hacked into 20 bits. Right. It's like the aftermath of the guy being hacked into 20 bits. And I found it so refreshing because the, the whole sort of disaster porn mm-hmm. style of photography, it's, it's sort of pointless. Yeah. Yeah, sort of pointless to me. So I like I like what the collectives are doing. I also think that they occupy a specific point in time where there's a lot of conversation around the value of diversity and the need for diversity. There's a lot of people that say, well, a photo a photo should be able to stand on its own. So who cares the color of the skin of the, the photographer, the gender, or the sexual you know preference of the photographer. And yet, when you see these collectives put together and you see the images, you understand like there actually is a different point of view. There's a reason for them to exist. Maybe if we're lucky, a generation or two from now, we won't need these collectives and they'll sort of have run their course. Mm -hmm. But I don't even think we're even close to that point yet. No, I don't think so either. And I think that they're great that they exist as a resource. Um, For example, Authority Collective and Diversify came onto my radar when they released last summer their The Lit List, where it was 30 um, up-and-coming photographers that you should hire now that are people of color and women. Um, And the I mean, I just bookmarked everyone. (laughs) And I hired somebody off the list. You know, it was just like, this is a great resource for me. And for every photo editor to be going to. There are so many photographers, so obviously you can't know everyone, but it's sort of shocking to find a photographer who you never even heard of before. Yeah. And seeing like a major body of work on a subject that you've never even considered and been like, what? Especially when they're in your backyard. Totally. Oh, you're in Brooklyn or you're in Soho and you're doing all this great work. Totally. As a person who loves photography, that's like my most favorite discovery. Yeah. If someone's like, oh, follow me on Instagram and I don't already follow them, like, oh my God. So knowing that women photograph isn't a collective or a cooperative in the true sense, does it 
does it sort of diminish the impact? Well, yeah, you? I was for a second I thought so, but then I was like, no, they do these like amazing grants. They're giving they're giving women and female identifying photographers not boatloads of money, but good amounts of money to get projects off the ground that for stories that need to be told that otherwise aren't. And like it's a great website and resource. What more do you in 2019 kind of like what more do you need? I see these collectives as fulfilling like almost a marketing role. Uh-huh. It's a marketing role that that maybe was previously occupied by photo contests, but people have such icky feelings about photo contests, right? Yeah. But here's a way where they're building brands behind the name. Mm-hmm. And they're aggregating all of these, this uh, specific type of photographer with a specific type of content and then building marketing muscle around that. It seems like a better way to get notoriety for the photographers. Totally. Yes. A hundred percent agree. Because who needs these photo contests? I know. Who needs yeah. photo contests? And who needs to be splitting their profits with other photographers? <laughs> well, that's a good point, too. <laughs> that's a good point, too. You know? Although, I, I do think that there's there's a valid reason to have a photographer and not have to worry about chasing down billing. Like on these Facebook groups oh, that I'm a part of. Yeah. It's like every week there's like, I have a client in Europe and I don't know how to get paid. And then uh, they say, oh, you haven't learned yet? Like, you need to request... The money up front for European clients because they don't play, they don't pay, you know. Yeah. So I do think that there's there's a reason for paying a little bit of your profit to outsource some of these things so you can focus on your photography. But yeah, but as a collective, yeah, I don't know. I guess guess you could save money by by splitting those costs. I I certainly think that there's a there might be a business uh, idea in there where it's just a business function for photographers. Yeah. It's like a collection agency, but not taking 30, 40%. It's like, we'll take 10%. Right. And maybe you pay an annual fee mm-hmm. and you get accounting services or something like that. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah. What's your favorite? Do you have a favorite collective? A favorite collective. I know. I don't know. No, no, I don't have a favorite collective. You know, the, the one thing, you know, we mentioned the F64. Oh yeah. Uh, before. And yeah, you know, going back in these different eras, so what I read on the Wikipedia page, because <laughs> I, I haven't done a real academic deep dive into this thing. Wiki.com. Um, was that they were, they were trying to position photography from a realist point of view. Yep. Because photography prior to that was very like. No, wait. It, no, the, the pictorial. They were like against the pictorial. Against the pictorial. Yeah. Ver, like version of photography they were very they were purists you know oh. yeah and it was like edward weston and ansel adams and imogen imogen cunningham so there's always a uh, a point of view as to for these different eras like a real yeah. difference in the way that the collectives and cooperatives are are put together yeah totally and i just want to note that f64 existed before magnum but oh, I, yeah. in, in 1937 i believe but um but that was almost just like a like a club, like a like a collective group of thinking, like yeah, but that's how it was back in the day. You know, I you had know, all these like right? physicists hanging out with each other in Vienna, yeah. having coffee, talking about <laughs> black holes and stuff, and you know. So then the photographers wanted to copy that too. That's true. There were a lot of yeah, that's you true. know, there were a lot of salons back in the day where people would come together and salon salon. 
the like French, the French salon. Okay, well, we're talking about American photographers, <laughs> Alan. Like, they weren't hanging out in salons. <laughs> no, I don't but know. Maybe they were conceptually. Sure, you know, sure, they're, sure. They're getting, there I was get no, there was no uh, Slack chat back then, so people actually had to right. gather in person to talk about these concepts. Right, you couldn't like G- Gmail everybody. Yeah, you're not texting, Insta messaging, right? People. I think we've decided that they're not technically collectives or yeah. cooperatives. Right. They're really kind of online directories mm-hmm. in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're fulfilling a very, I think, a, a sorely needed function of aggregating specific types of photographers to address both inequity within the industry as well as providing a point of view that hasn't traditionally existed because we've been going to sort of the same the same photographers to shoot everything kind of around the world. Yeah. Right. Totally. I agree. These, these resources are very valuable. So whether or not they will last another decade or two, or whether they, whether they will outgrow their, their usefulness remains to be seen. But I think we're both kind of pro 21st century collective. collective. In yeah. Quotes. I feel like that needs a new name, but yes. but for the time being, but for the time being, quote unquote, collective collectives. Yeah, for sure. PhotoShelter is the online leader for photography websites and workflow tools. Archive, distribute, and sell your photos in a mobile-friendly, responsive website. Try one free for 14 days at photoshelter.com slash podcast. Then download one of our free educational guides at photoshelter.com slash resources. 